great the first Sunday of Advent. And as I sat in front of my computer on Monday, it just stayed blank. And I thought, well, at least I know what the topic is. So let's type that at the top and let's see what happens. So I typed hope. And once again, Tuesday came and it stayed blank. And I'm thinking, well, Jesus, this isn't going very well this week. Usually by Wednesday when I'm preaching, I at least know where I'm going. And then I started really listening. And for those of y'all that know me, know me that this is my favorite time of the season. I love the smell of pine. I love the decoration. I love the anticipation the preparation that we do, not just here, but at church, in our lives, hanging out with family. I spent 12 hours with Rhonda yesterday. It was great. I loved it. But it's so much more than that. And as I started to dig down, as I started to really get quiet, and once again, those of y'all that know me, quiet is not something I do easy. God just said, Tanya, speak your heart. And I thought, I just don't know. So I'm probably going to cry. Y'all know I'm a crier. But we're going to open with a prayer that has been my prayer for this Advent season. And this is not your ordinary hope of Christmas sermon. I'm going to go ahead and put it out there. There is your disclaimer. Okay? So just pray with me. Lord, as we begin this Advent season... We pray that you would spark a time of gratitude, a time of preparation for the Christ child. May the joys that we see in the Christmas season, the everyday aspect of our lives, be a huge part in our hearts this year. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Today is Advent. We start Advent. It is a time of reflection a time of preparation for the coming of the Messiah. And it's a time that our lives should slow down just a bit and reflect on the things that Christ has done for us. I came across an Advent sermon series um, from a guy named um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Pretty sure that's correct. But he preached between 1928 and 1945. And as I read them, as I do a lot, when I'm in my office by myself, I pull up random things and read them. But he wrote this series as an annual reminder of our need for a Savior to break into our darkness, to break into our homelessness, and a time to challenge us to live out our faith in the world around us. And this was his quote. The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. So could there be a better time of the year for us to discover some things that have been stolen or lost or ripped away from us this year? For a lot of us in this room, this year has brought challenges. It has brought hardship. And we still have a couple of weeks left. The year is not over. 
And it would be so easy for us to step back and throw away the pain, the neglect, the, the issues that we deal with daily, the things that we don't want to see in our view in front of us. But that's not what we're called to do. We can't step away from those things. The word Advent means coming. And it symbolizes the church's present situation for the last days. The Israelites 2,000 years ago were waiting for the Messiah. We're waiting for his return. We're in the same position today that they were in then. It just looks a little different. <clears throat> Israel looked back to God's past actions on their behalf in leading them out of Egypt. And on this basis, they called for God once again to act for them. They were waiting for someone to come to save them. We know the background of the Christmas story. But as any good children's pastor, as Emma is smiling and giggling, I'm going to tell you, okay? A young Mary, who most scholars believe was young, between 13 and 15, that drives us crazy, doesn't it, Emma? Because we don't, that's just, all right? Never having been in a sexual relationship, never been married, has an angel visit her. Now that in and of itself, in my recollection of being 13, 14, 15, would throw me for a loop to have an angel just suddenly appear and say, guess what, Mary? You have found favor with God and you will bear his son. Now I'm sure Mary had a couple of doubts I'm sure Mary had a lot of wheels spinning in her head. But she said, okay, let's do it. God says, I'm the one. Then I'm the one. We're going to go forward. Joseph, on the other hand, doesn't see Mary for a while because Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth comes, or not when Elizabeth, when Mary comes back from Elizabeth's house, she is very pregnant. She cannot hide the fact that she's with child. As many of us in this room have been pregnant, it's hard to hide at a certain point. And so Joseph finds out. He doesn't really find out for Mary to begin with. It's the gossip around the town. But once again, an angel steps in. And visits Joseph in a dream. And he's like, Joseph, here's the deal. Mary has not stepped out on you. Mary hasn't done anything that you should be ashamed of. She's carrying God's child, the Messiah. I need you to step up. And I need you to take care of her. She's going to give birth to Jesus, whether you're there or not, that you need to be there. And Joseph reluctantly said, okay, 
I'm there. But with both of them, once they had that initial step of faith and said, okay, they were all in. There was no 50-50. There was no 75-25. There was no riding the fence. They were all in. How many of us would ace that kind of faith test? I don't know. I just, I don't know. I look at the faith test that God has put in front of me in my 44 years, and I'm thinking, those pale in comparison to what Mary and Joseph were asked to do. Mary and Joseph were forced into humiliation and gossip and being an outcast because no one understood what Mary's part in the story was. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things that aren't seen. A lot of us in this room, I hope a lot of us in this room have faith. We believe in a God that we can't physically see. We believe in a God who has brought us from the pits of despair into the glory of his salvation. We have a faith that we're, we are asked on a daily basis to spread to the world around us, sometimes in small ways. Opening the door for someone. Meeting someone for coffee just to chat. Whatever it is. But faith and hope go hand in hand. And here's their definitions. Faith is a confidence or trust in a person or a belief. Hope is an optimistic attitude of mind based on an expectation or a desire. Faith says now and hope says it's gonna happen in the future. We need both. We can't have faith without hope and we can't have hope without faith. We have to have them and they have to go hand in hand. They're intertwined, they complement each other. <clears throat> faith says it can happen now in this moment. But hope tells us it will happen if it doesn't happen now. You can't stop believing just because we can't see it. We can't stop missing out on what is to come because we refuse to watch and listen and see. We refuse to close or open our eyes to see the world around us. Biblical hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised and their faith in his faithfulness. We want to be able to search the scripture and find out what we need to do. We want God to sit in front of us and say, this is what's happening. This is our next step. And this is the outcome. But that's not faith and hope. We read the scriptures looking for the Messiah. We read the scriptures looking for signs of his coming again. And we're the ones living that prophecy today. We're the ones waiting. We're the ones looking for that hope and hopefully finding it. 
That's where Mary and Joseph were. Every generation has that moment of where were you when? Now I pulled some from the Waybacks, okay? How many of you know where you were when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon in 1969? I wasn't here, but some of us remember that. How cool was it? I've seen video, I think that's the coolest thing ever. How many of you remember where you were when JFK was shot in Dallas? Or Martin Luther King was shot in Memphis, yeah. How many of y'all remember when Y2K happened and we were scared the computers were gonna crash? Guess what? They didn't. How many of us remember where we were when 9-11 happened? I do. I can tell you. I can tell you that when I got the phone call to turn the TV on, I can tell you when I talked to Scott for the first time. All the school shootings. How many of you remember when you were when the first one at Columbine happened in 99, if I remember correctly? Current generations, Emma, are you ready? You remember where you were when COVID hit? Yeah. We all have, every generation has those moments. Where were you when? But can you picture the generation of Jesus? Where were you when Jesus was born? When the Holy Spirit came down in the form of God's Son to live among us? We know a lot of people had to have told Joseph to get rid of her. You do not want this burden. That baby is not yours. We see it even today. The baby's not yours. Why do you care? Why does it matter? And other people were looking at Mary, you better hold on to him for dear life because he's all you're ever going to have. No one's ever going to want you after this. You may never be asked to have that kind of faith. But what if your hope needs to be rediscovered? Because of the trash that other people have thrown on your life. Or the heap that you've thrown on yourself, whether true or not, whether real or imaginary. Can you still find your hope? Before you can find hope in uncertainties, there's one thing you have to be willing to do. You have to be willing to look for it. If you're not willing to open your eyes, if you're not willing to at least step into that realization that hope is real, that hope will happen, that hope is there because God said it is, you're going to miss it. Are you up for the adventure? Is it true that hope can't be found? Or it is true that hope can't be found until you look for it. You can't find it unless you are looking. But my question is, are you looking for it? Are you looking for God's hope? And do you even know where to look? I can read about hope. 
I can pull books off my bookshelf all day long and tell you everything you need to know about hope. If that don't convince you, I can find article upon article on the internet. But where do we look? Where do we find it? Where does hope live? Where does it reside? I can be promised hope. Our youth are hopeful to go to follow in four weeks, right? I'm hopeful in two weeks to have a month and a half off of school. I'm hopeful that Christmas is coming and I will be ready. We all have hope. And a lot of times it's that distant promise waiting to happen. Now, for those of y'all that have been anywhere in this church vicinity over the last year, you know my family has been had some ups and downs. It's not been an easy ride. And along the way, hope diminished. And as Advent got closer, and as I wanted so, so wanted to experience all the things, the hope, the joy, the peace, the love, I struggled. I struggled to find the hope that I so wanted. And as I sat in my office, and as I read and I read and I prayed and I sat, and I turned the music off and it was just silence. He gave me the answer. I can't give me hope. I can't. I would love to be able to give me hope. I think life would be a whole lot easier if I could give me hope. But that's not where my hope resides. That's not where my hope will ever reside. And that's not where your hope will reside either. Your hope will reside in Jesus. Jesus is our hope. And the reality for me, and I hope the reality for you, is that we understand hope when it's active. When we're actively seeking it, when we're actively looking for it. And if Jesus is my hope, then I need Jesus in my life. Jesus doesn't need to be a spectator hanging out in right or left field or shortstop somewhere. Jesus needs to be right beside of you, living in you and you living your life in the outwardness of him. And you let, I get it, we're pastors, Chris and I are pastors, but he talked about the spiritual aspect and the spiritual aspect in the last couple of weeks have been hard. Hope is diminished very quickly when you close your eyes and you try to shut everything and everyone out. We need Jesus, we need hope, we need faith, and it has to go together. If we are to rediscover Christmas, if we are to look at Christmas this season as something new, as something bigger, as something that we've never seen before, we have to find our hope and we have to experience Jesus 
for ourselves. We have to quiet ourselves enough. We have to be willing to open our eyes and listen enough that when Jesus is front of us, when he is right here telling us what we need, we can hear him. And not just hear him, but understand what he's trying to tell us. We have to experience Jesus for ourselves. Now, as I looked at scripture, I was all over the place as I usually am. That's not a surprise. But I settled on this story because it's one of um, my favorites because I think it's kind of gross. And I'm a children's pastor, so the grossest the story, the better. Uh, but we're going to talk about Jesus healing the blind man. And we're going to be in John 9, um, 1 through 11. And as, went, as he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. And neither this man, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the work for he has sent me to do. And night is coming when no one can work. And while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva and dirt, and put it on the man's eyes. Goey told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So this man went and he washed and he came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, it's me. I am that man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and I washed and I could see. So a lot of times when we talk about this in children's ministry, we talk about the miracle of the mud and the dirt and Jesus putting them on his eyeballs and he could see. But it hit a little different this week. How many of us need Jesus to spit on the dirt and cover our eyes so that we can see again? How many of us need the scales to drop away so that we can see Jesus for who and what he is? How can I be the man who goes back to people I knew 20, 30, 40 years ago and say, weren't you that girl who dot, 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 and they're like, no, that she just looks like her. But for me to be able to say, no, that's me. Jesus gave me sight so that I can go from here to here. Sometimes finding our hope is in the little things. Sometimes it's in the big things. For this man, Jesus healed his sight. He was born blind. A lot of people in those days 
if you had a deformity or an illness or anything of that nature, it was because you had sinned so dramatically that this was your punishment or it was generational, which means someone from your lineage behind had done something so bad and had not been forgiven for it that you carried that curse. But that's not what Jesus said of this man. This man was blind so that the glory of God could be seen. Finding hope this Christmas is so that the glory of God can be seen in the little things and the big things. Sorry, I lost my place, guys. Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. It was on Jesus to do what Jesus needed to do, to tell him to go to Salome and wash it off. Not only did he made him, he made him walk away with dirt and spit on his eyes, but he gave him further instruction. Now, I'm not quite sure how I'd react walking around with dirt and spit on my eyes. Emma's like, yeah, me too, I'm with you, Tanya. All right. But this guy didn't flinch. He was like, all right, you say I need to go here, we're going here. Off he went. Do you think anything negative said to this guy hurt him? Do you think he cared? Probably not. He was blind and he could see, and now in his life, in his mind, in his body, that was all that mattered. That was it. But Jesus cured one kind of blindness for another. He was physically blind, now he could see. He had the vision of sight. But it also exposes the spiritually blindness that a lot of us sometimes find ourselves in. We get so caught up in what needs to happen. We get so caught up in what needs to be done we get so caught up in what needs to be in the sanctuary or what needs to be in the fellowship hall or fill in the blank. Even in our personal life, we get so caught up with buying the presents. We get so caught up in having the perfect tree. We get so caught up is the nativity set up right or the stockings hung. All of those things take away from our spiritualness of this season. It's easy to do. My prayer this season is not just for me, but it's for all of us, that we can open our eyes, that Jesus can drop our spiritual blindness and we can see and we can rediscover this season. Jesus came for a reason. Jesus has touched every one of us in a way that is unique to us. It's unique to who he made us to be. 
And Jesus isn't done. He's not done. The hope is still there. The hope is still present. The hope is still all around us. And hope goes beyond this moment. It goes beyond this time. It goes beyond this day. Hope is the fuel for our faith. The blind man encountered Jesus so he could see. Jesus opened his eyes and it was a brand new world around him. What new world are we waiting to see? What new world is Jesus trying to show us this season? This man saw color for the first time. He saw moving objects for the first time. He heard voices and could match them with a person for the first time. What are our firsts going to be over the next three weeks? What first is Jesus going to show us? I was once blind, and now I can see. It doesn't matter what the year has held behind me. It only matters what's in front of me. What I allow myself to open up and allow Jesus to show me. What I am intentionally stepping into so that Jesus can look in my life and say, Tanya, this is it. This is what this season is about. We're all facing struggles in this moment. We all are. Whether it's school, whether it's work, whether it's home, whether it's whatever, we all have them. But it goes beyond right now. Hope is alive around us. And as long as Jesus is on his way, when he shows up, there will be a transformation from what is then or what is it this moment to that one. Just like the shepherds who heard the good news in Luke 2, today in a town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Glory to God in the highest. Hope goes beyond right now. Hope is a reality, not a feeling. Biblical hope is a foundation upon which we build our lives. Biblical hope doesn't make room for doubt because you believe that God will always keep his promises, whether we can see them or feel them or not. That promise is steadfast. He who believes in Jesus has eternal life. Always be prepared to answer anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. It's not hope versus faith. It's not are we willing if we are Christ's followers, if we believe that Jesus was born over 2,000 years ago and he's coming back, then it is faith and hope and they go together hand in hand and that is the difference.
One says, if it doesn't happen when you think it should, you lose your hope. And the other says, I will have faith. So if it doesn't happen now, it will happen later. I choose not to lose my faith and I am not going to lose my hope because my hope is in Jesus and he has never let me down. So where were you when Jesus put the mud on the blind man's eyes and he could see? Would you have been on the side of that can't be him. We just saw him begging two days ago. Or would you have been on the side, Jesus did this, he can see. Oh, sorry. For some of us, we need Jesus to put mud on our eyes, on our hearts, over our pain, over our disappointment, over our frustrations, over our situations. But if we step into that, we have to allow him to open our eyes to see the hope that is still here. Hope isn't gonna leave just because we don't see it or we're not willing to open our eyes and look at it. Hope is alive and well around us. If we keep our faith in Jesus, Hope will always be there to pick us up and carry us the rest of the way. As we head into communion, I'm going to ask um, my three guys to come up. I always like doing communion during the Advent season because I think, well, I know it's a time of reflection. It's a time to prepare our hearts and what better way to step into the Advent season than to prepare our hearts with the Lord's Supper. And so while they were eating, Jesus took bread and we had given thanks, he broke it. This is not the one we usually have. As I stick my finger in things. He took the bread he broke it. He broke it. Let's we'll see if I can get this right here. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this, eat it. This is my body. And he poured the wine and he took the cup and he held it up. It's the cutest thing ever. And he said, this is my blood. He gave it to them and said, drink from it. This is the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of their sin. Jesus instituted communion for a purpose. And that purpose hasn't changed since that fateful night of Passover when, before Jesus gave his life for us. Every time we step up to this table, we remember, we prepare, 
we know what Jesus did for us in our life. So as we prepare, as we come, think back. Think ahead. Not just what Jesus has done, but what Jesus will do. Not just the hope that you've seen fulfilled, but the hope that's coming. Not just the faith that you've had, but the faith that will last forever. If y'all will come, we will. Sorry, my brain is like... <laughs>